If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for same race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Welcome to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Uh, on this Anzac Day, we thought it uh, fitting to speak to someone who has served his country. Uh, our guest in this episode is certainly one of the younger guests we've had on the program, but he has got an incredible story to tell, not just uh, to talk about his years serving in the Australian Navy, uh, but in the years since. Uh, an almost life-ending uh, incident on the road uh, just about took his life, but he has recovered with, from that, uh, but not without challenge, that is to say, the very least. So let's say hello and welcome uh, to our special guest, Mark Daniels. Hey, thank you for having me. Uh, it is Anzac Day today, and you have served uh, the Australian Defence Force uh, in your time. What is Anzac Day to you? What, what sort of emotions does it bring up? So for me, I was in the Navy for eight years, and it's that sense of camaraderie, uh, the friendship and the mateship you get throughout that service. Yeah. Is you can't really explain what it's like to civilians of having that support mm. when you're away and like what it's like actually being in the military and what it means to put the uniform on. Yeah. But it's also a time of reflection of friends that have passed in service, uh, people that have come before us, um, both men and women serving in all three services that have given the ultimate sacrifice and are no longer with us and have done what they needed to do for their country. Mm. What prompted you to join up in the first place? Uh, for me, it was a family thing. Uh, yep. My grandfather served, my dad served. And for me, that was... In the, the Navy? Uh, so my grandfather was in the Royal Marines in mm-hmm. the UK, and my dad was in the Air Force. And it was really something I wanted to do was continue that family tradition, yep. as well as having the opportunity to travel, see the world, uh, all those things which you think are great about the military at 19 years old. <laughs> yeah, so you're 19, pretty young. Yeah. Um, obviously, post-school, venturing into the next phase of your life. Um, did you know during school that this was what you were going to do? Yeah, so I had planned on enlisting as an officer. I had done Navy cadets. I tried to tick as many boxes as possible. Uh, But due to trying to apply when I was 18, they wanted me to have more life experience. Mm. Uh, So they said, look, come back in a year when you've lived life a bit, go out and experience what things are like outside of school, and then come back. And Of course, being 18, that wasn't good enough for me. So I'm like, all right, what's the job that can get me in as soon Mm. as possible? They're like, well, you can be a marine technician, uh, which we call a stoker, and you can be in, in 23 days as an enlistment going with an opening. So that was it, a sign that dotted line, yep. like made You're that sacrifice. There. And yeah, off I went 23 mm. days later with no idea what the hell I was doing <laughs> with my life. <laughs> and so how was it? What did you do? Where did you go? What did you see? Um, so unfortunately, I didn't get as many trips as I would like. Um, yeah, it, for I was very on, obvious reasons yeah, that we'll I was get into shortly. four years yeah. in when the accident happened. Um, but I got to do a Northeast Asian deployment, which was, uh, was China, India, South Korea, um, Malaysia, Philippines, and 
you got to see what it was like in third world countries when like most of them hadn't seen a white person before. Yeah. And having that exposure to like countries that haven't seen people like yourself and seeing how people live, the slums where people are actually selling their children uh, to local gangs to be able to feed the families. And then they use the kids to then beg. It was almost a humbling experience of how lucky we are in Australia mm. that you didn't actually appreciate it because we've always got, like grown up with beautiful country, beautiful beaches, like the freedom to choose and do what we want with enough income. Well, going over and seeing how other countries live uh, was quite a daunting thing, I guess. Mm. You didn't really realize that that's what the world is like in some places. Had you not been badly hurt in a car accident, you know, let's be honest, lucky to be alive. Yep. Do you think you'd still be serving? 100%. Yeah. For me, the military was my life. I think it's always going to be a huge part of my life. But post-accident, I felt like that was taken away from me mm. and that I wasn't the same person beforehand and I didn't fit in. Yeah. Um, a lot of focus at the moment uh, for veterans on the mental health side of things. Um, from your time in the military, I know you've had some other <laughs> significant challenges uh, in the in the years since, but... Um, your mental health from your time in the Navy, um, all all intact, all pretty good? You um, feel like you were able to process what you did experience during those years? I think my mental health is very blurred. Yeah. Uh, I'm actually diagnosed with a PTSD, mm-hmm. uh, post-traumatic stress. And some of that's from the motor vehicle accident, but then yeah. the other parts of that is from the service and what I had to do post-losing a leg mm. and what I was forced into um, is that... I didn't deal with it. I pushed it to one side and yep. I hit it because Common I, story, isn't it? I wanted to serve my country. I didn't want to let be broken. Mm. So I did what I thought was right. And I guess in the long term, it's probably what ended my career. Yeah. It's probably a good time to mention the Invictus Games, yes. um, which is a, a fantastic event. Um, and I suppose for you, it's it's a chance to meet up with some of the old uh, buddies and, and, and revisit some of those friendships and associations you've had with uh, fellow serving uh, men and women over the years. So the Invictus Games, uh, it's definitely probably the reason of my life. Um, Is that right? Yeah, it's that big of a thing. That's a, that's a big call. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was the thing that got me out of bed in the morning, that got me through the suicide attempts, through every hardship I was going through. Yeah. I had that goalpost, and that was to make the 2018 Invictus Games. Mm. Um, I actually got the opportunity to go and represent Australia at the Invictus Games. I won gold in the wheelchair rugby and bronze in the indoor rowing. And... <laughs> Two very different sports. <laughs> yeah, look, so the thing is you have to do multiple sports. Yeah. Um, so I actually did four sports at the time. So I did swimming, um, indoor rowing, uh, wheelchair rugby, and sitting volleyball. Yeah. They're all so different. You've got to train for them all equally. Yeah. Um, and that is one of the harder things to do. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you're with people that aren't athletes. They're everyday people that have been injured. So it's for injured and ill servicemen and women mm. that either have like mental health issues, um, like they actually have a disability, um, or they have like a back ankle injury something like that that stops them from the service they can be serving or non-serving so they can be a veteran or still serving i was still serving at the time yeah but it's a week where you don't realize you're broken you don't realize your mental health you don't realize you're disabled you're celebrated yeah um your your differences aren't almost looked down on the showcased is that you get the chance to show australia what's possible despite having a disability Mm. every setback and every hardship you've gone through got you to that stage Mm. But the best part about it is you're not going and doing sport. You're going and you're celebrating that. You're versing some of the best servicemen and women from around the world with the same issues. We have all know what it took to get to that start line. Mm. So getting to Invictus was the hard part. The week of Invictus is the funnest time of your life. Like, <laughs> yes, there's a lot of nerves. There's a lot of hard work. Yeah. But 
to get to the start line is the big goal. Whatever happens afterwards is just like the cherry on top. Yeah, absolutely. But you also get to take your family, your friends, the people that have been there and seen you at your worst, and then they get to see you at your best. Mm. So I think Prince Harry has done an amazing mm. thing. And as much as there's a lot of negative media around him at the moment, the man has saved so many lives through Invictus. Yeah. It's because it's a chance to actually pick yourself back up and rebuild yourself into something you're proud of. Of course, the 2020 Invictus Games, unfortunately, like a lot of things in yes. 2020, <laughs> um, had to be canned or postponed. Yep. Um, so I committed is... to the 2020 Games in 2019. Yep. And they still haven't happened. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but 2022 is is still in the picture. Yep. So we'll be in the Netherlands for that. So it was postponed again this year. And then next year in April, it, we've just got the go-ahead. So yep. as long as we keep going on track with COVID, we'll hopefully be over there and be able to represent. How many events are you going to compete in? Uh, five this year. So we've got a small, <laughs> yeah, we've got a smaller team. So there's only 32 athletes, yeah. uh, which means that we have to cover all the sports. Yeah. Um, and for people like myself that have a severe disability, um, for sports like sitting volleyball, wheelchair rugby, wheelchair basketball, swimming, you've got to have a certain quota of that more severe di- disability for the point system on the court, mm-hmm. which means that I have to do a lot of sports. <laughs> so, what, so what are you doing? Uh, so uh, cycling, uh, indoor rowing, sitting volleyball, swimming, and wheelchair rugby. Yeah, you've so, got to defend your gold medal, right? Yeah, we're hopefully <laughs> new team. So there's only, I think, two of us from last year's team, Yeah, or from the 2018 team. Yep. Um, you only get to do two games. Um, so the re- oh, is that right? Yeah. So the reason for that is it's actually about re- rehabilitation. Yeah. Uh, so it's not about taking the best. It's about the people that need it the most, the people that are going through the most, the most vulnerable, and mm. that need something to really build themselves up. Mm. And I think I'm at a situation now where I'm probably ready to make the next step to go into the Paralympics to like further my life on from Invictus. It's mm-hmm. taught me how to rebuild myself. It's taught me how to the coping mechanisms I need for my mental health, uh, community engagement and actually building myself outside of the military, mm. which is exactly what it's meant for. But I think because I've already committed to it, I just want one more shot, yeah. a few more medals, and then I'll move on to uh, <laughs> Paris 2024. <laughs> well, look, you committed to 2020, so yeah, it's the next one on the table, isn't it? That's it. I'm so not you, you've got to see it through. <laughs> no, absolutely. And and what a gift it's given you so far. It has. You said, you know, saving your life. Yeah, definitely. It doesn't get much bigger than that. Let's go back to the time in your life then when everything changed. You were on the road, just another yep. road user, a distracted driver, changed your life, almost ended your life. Yep. So Tell we, us about that. We just got back from deployment uh, three days prior and we were about to go on leave for a month. So we get a period of, uh, we call it rap reduced activity period. Mm-hmm. And that's a month over Christmas that you don't have to work. You get time away to see your friends, family. Uh, you can travel into state because most of us aren't, don't grow up in WA. I'm from Brisbane myself. Um, so that was the last working day. We had taken our families on board and we did a um, like demo day. So we took the helicopter out, the rib out, uh, and they got to see all the cool stuff. We showed them all the weapons. Um, so they get to see all the cool parts of the job. We don't yeah. show them as down cleaning bilges <laughs> or emptying sewage tanks or any of the not so fun parts. Yeah. But they get to see the best parts. And yeah. for them, they get to feel like they're part of the journey and the sacrifice that you're making. Um, so we'd done that. I said goodbye to my dad and my brother who came for the day. And then I decided to ride to my mate's place because I was on a motorbike at the time um, and catch up with my best mate and his wife, who I hadn't seen since I left for deployment. I had dinner with them um, and then I left their place about 8.30. 8.32, I had a driver turn across my lane and T-bone me on my motorbike. Uh, I was flung over 30 metres through the air and I hit the ground pretty hard. Um, at 22 years of age, you got to know what it's like to die. Mm. 
Um, my injuries included a broken neck, 11 broken ribs, a punctured lung, a ruptured kidney. My heart was grazed on my rib cage, broken right hand. My femoral artery was split, four fractures through my femur. My fib and tib were just completely destroyed on my right leg, which resulted in, in a below the knee amputation at the time, which has now been reduced to an above knee amputation. Um, and with my femoral artery being split, I was lying on the side of the road bleeding out. I had five minutes left to live. And you're lying there, just broken. And that's something you have to like realize. That can you re- can you remember what that was like I can. lying there? If you don't mind me asking, like what goes through your mind? I, I can't possibly even imagine. So everyone being in says that, space. that like you get this white light. And yeah, it's quite a peaceful thing. It's not. <laughs> you're covered in blood. There's blood everywhere. Mm. Uh, people are screaming all around. Are you, are you, were you were aware of? I was of what fully conscious. Yeah. I tried to stand up on my leg at the time. And I've got bones sticking out all over the place. Yeah. Um, my handlebars had actually come off my bike and I'm holding onto my handlebars, like thinking I'm still trying to ride my bike home. And I was telling people I had to go to work. Uh, I was clearly in shock. Mm. But once you actually lay down and you start being a bit more conscious about what's happening, you start realizing that, yeah, you're dying. Um, and it's not a happy time. You're, all you've, you've got is regret. It's every reason you wish you were a better person, that you had done more. You're thinking about all the reasons you want to leave. You're thinking about your friends, your family, your dog, uh, your mm. parents and what you're leaving behind. And all you wish for is a few more minutes, just a chance to say goodbye, a chance to actually be a better person. All the times you were a pretty crap person and you probably could have made better decisions and not partied so hard and actually done something with your life. Mm. You feel that like you wasted your life at 22 when that's all you get. And I guess I'll lay there and I made a deal with God, with fate. I mean, mm. I'm not religious, but... I was going to say, are you a religious person? I'm not a religious person, asking? no. Like, no. But, but in, a, in a broad sense, was it a religious It was experience? whoever was listening. It was any, any chance that I could have at living, that I would make the most of my second chance mm. and that I did not want to die. And yeah, like you kind of had to accept the fact that this is it. Um, luckily I had a lady put a tourniquet on my leg yeah. and that gave me that extra few minutes. The ambulance managed to get them in seven minutes. She was just a random passing just by. Just a random passing by that had first aid yeah. like training and said, look, look, this guy's got a split femoral artery, put a bandage across my leg and like wrapped it as tight as she could. Mm. And that's the thing that kept me alive. Amazing. So yeah, I'm really fortunate and thankful to that lady. We're going to take a quick break, but right. we'll get you to keep carrying us through this incredible part of your life, Mark, right after we no take problem. a break. This is Inspiring Stories. Mark Daniels is our special guest. We'll be back, more, back with more in a moment. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Uh, our special guest uh, on this Anzac Day is a Navy veteran, Mark Daniels. Uh, still pretty young uh, by our standards on this Inspiring Stories series, but he certainly has a story to tell. Uh, we still haven't even spoken about your Ninja Warrior exploits yet, Mark, but let's go back to uh, to where we finish up before yeah. the break there. Um, you've just had this catastrophic accident, indescribable injuries. You're fully conscious going through this experience. A lady comes along uh, ties off the wound on your leg, saves your life, saves you from, from bleeding out. Uh, what happens then? Obviously, you're shipped off to hospital pretty quickly. Um, so the plan was was to get me – I was in Port Kennedy at the time. Yep. And the plan was to get me to Rockingham Hospital, which was the closest. Um, they had put all the hospitals on standby up mm-hmm. until Royal Perth because that's where the state trauma unit is, the best surgeons. If I had a chance to live, that's where they needed to get me. Um, 
I actually, when I was lying there, I heard them cancel the helicopter. And yeah, I, it wasn't going to get to me in time. So that was them saying that it, it it's yeah. not going to help you. It's like getting a helicopter to me, it would would have to wait for the helicopter to clear mm. the landing. And we didn't have that much time. Yeah, uh, They actually had two ambulance crews on site and I actually got to meet with the paramedics um, a few years ago and actually speak to them about their recount of the story. Uh, they abandoned one of the ambulances at the scene and they had two crews in the same ambulance. And... I remember fading in and out of consciousness and I was constantly apologizing, thinking I had done something wrong and that I was sorry. And they kept saying, no, it's not your fault. And every time I started fading and like that was it, I was dying. I kept hearing this voice. And throughout like the last few years, every time I've been at such a low point where I've thought about suicide or I've like, decided that this is it, I'll hear that voice again. Who, who's the voice? Um, so it was actually with the paramedic, uh, Rachel. We actually, I got to, When I got to meet them, she spoke and instantly it just lit up. I'm like, that's that voice that I wow. hear. And it was her when I was in the ambulance constantly trying to talk to me and get me to come back and like trying to fight. And we had two tourniquets on my leg and then she actually had her hand inside my leg clamping, uh, clamping my artery, wow. stopping me from bleeding. But she's like, every time my hand was like getting sore and cramping, you would just start squirting blood all over the place again. And she was like, it was such a hard thing knowing that I had your life in my mm. hands. Like I had to just like keep pushing through that pain because I think it was a 45 minute journey. They had to keep stopping for the sharps. And mm. um, eventually they managed to, so we got to Rockingham and they're like, look, we can get him to Fiona Stanley. Let's get him to Fiona Stanley. That's better facilities. So then they got me to Fiona Stanley. They're like, look, like, we think we can probably get him to Royal Perth. In the meantime, they'd called my parents and told them that to come meet them at the hospital and it's probably going to be not the like, mm. outcome they want to come say the goodbyes. Um, so, yeah, they managed to get me to Royal Perth and then I was rushed into surgery and had eight surgeries overnight um, to try and just stabilize me. Uh, at the stage, I still had my leg. Mm. Um, I was then put into a medical-induced coma for 10 days. Um, so from that point, I have no idea what happened. This is just what people have told me. Um in all, in the meantime, my parents came, my brothers flew over from Queensland um, and everyone uh, from the Navy actually turned up. We had about 200 sailors in the waiting room. Uh, personally, I like to think they were just there. Been to, quite a sight. Oh, I think they were just there to see the nurses personally. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, uh, the show of support was amazing. Yeah. Um, during that time, my parents had to sign the waiver to actually remove my leg. Uh, my leg had just started dying. Uh, all the muscle had been cut out and I had back dressing in but the flesh was going toxic and it was actually poisoning my bloodstream. Mm. Uh, so they actually had to amputate five centimeters below my knee. Um, I came out of... So you woke up to that? Yeah, I was brought out of the coma 10 days later. Um, I couldn't sit up because of my neck. Uh, mm. All I could see, well, I was pretty drugged up at the time, um, was just like, there was just cables and cords everywhere. I'm lying there just in a world of pain. And they, like my dad was there and he said, look, like, I need to tell you something. Um, your leg's been taken. I was like, oh, crap. And then, like, passed out from the pain. And mm. like, I, then you kind of think it's a dream you come back to. And I'm like, hey, Dad, where's my leg? He's like, yeah, it's gone. You're like, okay. And that's it. Like, you don't really get a choice then. Mm. Um, my lung was actually punctured at the time. My kidneys were punctured. So I actually then kind of crashed again. And I was on constant dialysis. And I had to go on a breathing machine because uh, I couldn't keep myself going. Um even though I'd fought so hard to get there, I then went through like the mental health. Mental mm. health then hit me. Um, and for someone that's always thought mental health was only for people that were weak, being a 22-year-old, you think that people that have depression and like suicide, they're just weak people. But mm. that's because I'd never been through anything that had tested me. And if this is a trigger for anyone, this is pretty daunting. Um, 
and it's pretty open and raw and that's my story mm. is that i decided to kill myself i didn't want to be a burden on my family i didn't want to be a burden on society is that i wasn't going to be able to serve or stay in the navy with one leg and like i wasn't going to have a life so i decided to remove my breathing tubes and end my life um, what sort of during the night when you were not yeah during the night um, attended to yeah Luckily, I was caught. Um, mm. I'm not very good at <laughs> killing myself, it seems. Um, so I was actually handcuffed to the bed for three days. Is that right? Yeah. Just to stop you from self-harming. And I kept just grabbing those tubes and trying to get them out. Were you aware of what you were doing or were you, were you heavily medicated and, and not, medicated. In, n- not in I think sound mind? I mean, forgive you for that because, yeah. God, you've just been through I think it was hell. in a terrible headspace. Like, it was probably like for me at the time, it was like watching a movie. Yeah. is that that didn't feel like your life. It didn't feel real. And the only way to end it was to make it stop stop breathing and you get to go back to the life that mm. you had before. And I think you're so messed up by the drugs and I think I was on ketamine and all that good stuff that you're just out of it. You're not conscious. Um, my captain at the time then heard about what was happening and my mum was having to stay with me overnight to make sure that there was someone because the nursing staff couldn't actually have someone posted with me 24-7. And my mum slept in on like one of those crate beds for like mm. the next week. Um, and during the day you were kind of okay because you had constant visitors from 8am to 8pm. But then at night time, that's when you started getting dark. I was on a liquid restriction. I think it was 1200 milliliters, which seems like a lot, but a 600 mil bottle of water. And when you've had tubes all cutting down your throat, your throat's raw and all you want to do is mm. like, suck on get a bit the of quids ice. in there. Yeah. So yeah, the best I could get was a cotton wool ball with a tiny bit of water. Yeah, and you're trying to suck that down. Mm. Uh, you then got a J brace on with a broken neck that comes all the way out from your mouth. You can't get food up properly. You can't swallow. I lost 25 kilos, but every time I had medication, it made me so sick that I just vomited all over myself. Um, and I couldn't be showered because I had open wounds all over me. And I had a brace. Uh, all the vomit would go in between the brace, and you just lay there stinking day in day out. Um, the nurses did the best. But they couldn't do it. And there was one day that like, I was just complaining about stinking. And this nurse, Janae, came in. And she's like, that's it. I'm sick of him complaining. I'm showering him. <laughs> like, grabbed me. I like, grabbed the bed, put me in and showered me in the bed. Yeah. <laughs> like, then changed the sheets. <laughs> and, like, that was the best shower of my life. <laughs> just, like, to feel human again. Yeah. Um, and I guess it's those little experiences that make you feel human. How yeah. long before you stopped you know, um, trying to end it? I think it was about five days. Yeah. Like, after coming out of the coma. Um, and that was because of one person. Um, my captain heard about how bad I was and he needed to do something about it. He didn't want to lose one of his sailors. Uh, so he reached out to Portie Gowder, who is a Navy clearance diver that lost his arm and leg in the shark attack in Sydney Harbour. Yep. Um, and Paul is an amazing man and has done a lot. And he spoke to me. He's like, look, people are going to tell you what you can and can't do for the rest of your life. Tell them all to piss off. You define your own limits. Your limits don't define you. I then started reading st- uh, Paul's book, Oh, I was getting it read to me because I was not very conscious mm-hmm. um, and like doing some research on what was possible with a disability. And you're lying there watching a guy that's just lost his arm and leg doing pull-ups in his hospital bed three days after having a double amputation and seeing the mindset that he had and that he didn't let that define him. That's what I wanted. I started seeing mm-hmm. videos of people weightboarding, people doing ninja warrior, people climbing <laughs> obstacle courses. And then I saw about the Invictus Games. I'm lying in that hospital bed, like researching the Invictus Games and what I was going to be able to do. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that made me fight. Yeah. I got taken off a lot of the heavy medication. I started responding. I started fighting to actually be conscious because beforehand, all I was doing is hitting that painkiller button and putting myself back to sleep. Yeah. 
uh, where I started actually responding. I started doing my physio. Um, my body started healing incredibly quick. And I was actually out of the hospital three weeks later. Amazing. I was still very broken, but I mean, there's yeah. no point me sitting in a hospital. I mean, state trauma yeah. unit, it's a concrete block. You've got people handcuffed screaming in the bed all night next to you. Mm. It's not a nice place to be. So I was able to go home and do my recovery at home with daily hospital visits and silver chain visits. Yeah. Um, can I ask the, the driver, the distracted driver yes. that put you in that mess? Um, what became of, of that person? Uh, have you had any contact with them in the years since? Uh, so I won't name him. Um, but he was a 42-year-old man uh, with two kids, yep. same as a lot of everyday people. He wasn't speeding. He wasn't driving drunk. For 10 seconds of his life, he made a mistake. And I guess, Do you know what he was doing? No, do I, I don't. No. Um, I knew he wore glasses, so I think due to my own experiences, because my mum is blind as hell, mm. uh, and she wears glasses. And then when it comes actually driving at night, she really struggles. But she's like, oh, it's all right. I can get that. And then when I relate to my own story, mum then realizes that, oh, Joanne, I shouldn't be doing this. And I think a lot of people do make that same mistake, that if you start struggling at night with your vision, stop driving. Because mm. he, uh, he wore glasses, his vision was pretty bad, and he's turned across my lane to go down a side street. And he's thought my, my motorbike headlight was a street light. So that's my theory on it. I don't know if he was texting. Uh, yeah. There's no evidence of that. Um, and the police investigation didn't find anything. What became of him? Um, so for 18 months, he pled not guilty. Uh, he was saying that my headlight wasn't working. So in my own head... In my Which head, you know to be wrong. Yeah. I yeah. knew my headlight worked. It came on on my bike automatically every time it started. I wasn't speeding. I rode in full Kevlar. I was on the right side of the road. Like I didn't do anything wrong. I had a beer that night, but it was a light beer. I was under the alcohol limit. And in my own head, I was going through this checklist of things and things that I could have done differently to avoid it. And there's a thousand what-ifs you can then play out, but none of them are actually going to change what's happened to you. Mm. Um, we ended up going to court 18 months later and he had pled not guilty the whole time until two days before. And then he changed his plea to guilty. Um, and he was still entitled to reduce like, um, sentencing because of that. Yeah. Uh, he got $167 fine and a two year suspended license. But I mean, he'd already done 18 months of that mm. and that was justice. That's incredible. So the it first time we were in for a hearing, and we're there, and one of the detectives was actually driving me to and from so I could be part of it. And there was a incident when, he, like they had said about a court date, and he's like, oh, that's a bit inconvenient for me. <laughs> and it just hit me, and all this anger just welled up inside me, and yeah. I had to be, like, carried out of the courtroom. Because inconvenient for him. Like, it's a date when he had work. I mean, mm. I've just lost a leg. And, yeah, so there was quite a big like anger issue that I was having at the time. Yep. So trying to deal with that and then having all this hate and resentment, trying to live a normal life, get back to work, deal with losing a leg at such a young age. Um, and then thinking that was justice, you kind of lost faith in the justice system. Mm. But at the end of the day, no matter what they said, they could have sent him to jail for years, ruined his kids' lives, and there would have been that ripple effect. And, and it wouldn't have actually changed your No, it wouldn't have changed my outcome. No. So when I actually became okay with it, um, it was okay. And I actually spoke to him outside yeah. of the courtroom and said, look, this is where we draw the line that we're going to draw it here. I'm going to live with this. You don't need to. We both know it's a miracle. You're not in for manslaughter. So make sure you make the most of your second chance. Go and volunteer at hospitals. And he tried to use an excuse about his lawyer that his lawyer said that he shouldn't intervene. But if it was me, I would have been there with him in mm -hmm. his hospital bed that night doing anything I could for him and his family to make sure that my actions had such a minimal effect on him. Mm. But I guess that's what makes us different. Yeah. Have you forgiven him? 
<laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. Um, on my good days, yes. On my bad days, I'm still a very the, angry. The anger's not too person. far away. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the PTSD is that. Yeah. I have to live with this for the rest of my life, and it's not just that you get a prosthetic leg, you put it on, you go for a walk. That's mm. the easy part. It's all the setbacks. It's I've had another six surgeries, so I'm up to 16 surgeries. I've had a second amputation. Mm. Five years on, I'm still fighting this to just have a normal life and just be able to walk normally. Yeah. So I guess, yes, I've forgiven him. He made a mistake. But his actions post that accident, that's something I don't know if I'll be able to still forgive. sting. Yeah. yeah. It still hurts. Yeah. Um, we'll take another break now, Mark. After that, we'll get into some of the extraordinary things you've been able to right. do. Get into the good stuff. Uh, in the years since, uh, Ninja Warrior being one of them, Invictus Games we've already talked about, but some of the other things you've done too are just incredible. So uh, let's get into that right after we take a break. This is Inspiring Stories. Mark Daniels is our special guest. Back with more soon. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Mark Daniels is our special guest, uh, Navy veteran, uh, crash survivor, uh, and just all-round inspiration. Um Mark, if anyone wants to go and see what you've been able to achieve, they just need to Google your name and, and Ninja Warrior and they'll see you doing your thing on the Ninja Warrior course, which is just mind-blowing. I mean, people who've got two functioning legs, you know, struggle to, well, struggle to even make it on the show, let alone, you know, to do as much of the course as you were able to do. Uh, you, you talked about how important the Invictus Games was in terms of having a goal to aim for and, and something that you could work towards. Um did Ninja Warrior sort of serve a similar kind of? Per- I know you don't get the you know fellow yeah. uh, serving men and women camaraderie you know th- there that you would at the Invictus Games, but in terms of something to aim for, did it have a similar sort of therapeutic value for you? Um, look, I'm not known for my intelligence. Uh, <laughs> Ninja Warrior for me, I entered it as a joke. Did you? Uh, I saw a guy, uh, Sam, who's a Paralympic swimmer, enter season one. Yep. I'm like, yeah, I can do better than that. <laughs> crap. Uh, so, yeah, I put my application in and they're like, yep, sweet. All right, send us like a video about yourself. So I did. And I was like, all right, sweet. Talking about myself, like lost a leg, did some cool stuff. I lift some weights at the gym. Yeah, there you go. And they're like, all right, sweet. Come to the physical edition. So I went there and I started blitzing everyone around me. I'm like, okay, this is a bit different. Like, and they're like, yeah, we want to give you a crack. Mm. So then next thing you know, a few months later, you're standing on like looking up at Mount Midoriyama like, oh. <laughs> Yeah, this was a bad idea. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there's, once you're there, it's kind of too late. Uh, so I had my first crack. And for that, I got further than most people. I think I only missed out in the semifinals by like three spots. And that was with zero training. I had yeah. done nothing um, towards it. But how I've got through my life up until now, um, probably in the last year, where I've actually had to do some more healthy uh, recovery compared to just setting huge challenges. Um, is I would set a challenge and I'd be like, all right, this is it. This is my next goal for the next three months, whether yeah. it's a 24-hour obstacle race, whether it's Ninja Warrior and Victus Games, Warrior Games, uh, a powerlifting competition, triathlons, just anything stupid and mm. that was going to break my body enough <laughs> to make me feel fulfilled, that's what I would do. So I did Ninja Warrior and I got wet and didn't get as far as I wanted, but I got further than I thought I would get. So yeah. um, I was pretty stoked. But for me, it was the amount of feedback I had from the public. Yeah. I mean, with Ninja Warrior, it's not a competitive thing. Like, yes, you're trying to beat other people like for the top spots, but you're all trying to beat the course. Mm. And there's such a sense of camaraderie, kind of similar to veterans, that you all just want the same thing. Everyone wants each other to do the best. No one's there going, oh, I hope they fall, mm. um, because you all know how hard it is. 
Um, but for me, yeah, it was that after effect of people with disabilities reaching out to me, kids with disabilities reaching out to me. And uh, one in particular, Max, he was an eight-year-old that has an awful list of disabilities, uh, born without a spleen, um, like can't breathe um, properly, he's constantly through a breathing tube, has to eat through a tube. Um, he's had four strokes by the age of eight. The left side of his body doesn't work. And people like Max reaching out to me and saying, look, like, I got mm. to see someone with a disability on TV and that was really cool. Because you don't get to see a lot of people, apart from Dylan Alcott, mm. uh, there's not a lot of people with a disability on TV. Mm. Um, so it was a can- chance to showcase what someone with a disability can do. Yeah. So then I thought, okay, I'm actually going to train really hard for this now. And I spent the next year, uh, I had to move to Melbourne for work. Um, so I was actually training with Ashlyn Herbert and all the guys at the compound doing like the top level stuff. And I really took it seriously, dropped a load of weight. Um, and I did so much better in the 2019 season. Um, yeah, but I think I missed out in the semifinals by one spot. And mm. that was only because I fell getting off those spinning forks. If I had landed that, I would have made it. And it was because it's based on what time you got to that obstacle. So yep. I'd got further than most people that got to that obstacle. But because I fell falling off, it was who got to that obstacle and started that obstacle first. Yeah. Um, for the third season that I did, I actually couldn't walk. I just had surgery. I did my auditions with stitches still on my leg. Um, I was two weeks post-surgery and I was a mess. You're mad. Um, my mental health was probably at the one of the lowest points I'd been in. Yeah. Um, we had just come back from the national championships for the Paralympics. I discharged from the military. Um, I was lost everything that I was. Mm. Um, when I actually filmed it, I'd been walking for, I think, two days. Uh, so I had to walk up the steps and it was extremely painful. I still had a fresh scar on my leg. Yep. Um, and then I hadn't been able to train because my body was so broken from mm. the last surgery that when I hit that trampoline and my knee collapsed on me and I hit the water, that was kind of the start of my downward spiral. Uh, and then straight from there, we then got put on the plane and flew him back because COVID had just started as we had finished filming. Uh, and then I went into like isolation for three weeks, uh, three mm. months like, like we all did. And where people were allowed to leave home for reasons I chose, reasons not to. I went into a really unhealthy habit. Um, but yeah, I managed to pull myself out all yeah. of that now. And again, use training to get myself back. Yeah. In. I had to recreate myself from being that veteran when everything about your life is military. Like you've lived and breathed the military for the last 10 years. And then that's taken away from you when it feels like it wasn't your choice. Even though it was my choice to put my medical discharge in with my mental health, mm. you kind of felt like you got forced into it because of your situation. Yeah. Um, and Circumstances you, yeah, took I, you there. I turned to alcohol as a coping mechanism and I sat at home and I drank and I felt sorry for myself and I didn't leave home and I put on like 20 kilos mm. and it got to the stage where my missus threatened to leave me mm. uh, just because she couldn't deal with it. Mm. And I think that was to kick up the butt that I needed to get, you know what, like, I'm not okay. I actually need some help. And then from there, I've actually then redefined myself. I've created some healthy habits instead of just using sport as challenges Sports now about rehabilitation. It's mm. about the mindfulness, working on my mental health as well as my physical health. Because you need a sound mind and a sound body. You can't just be really strong and then completely mm. neglect. Yeah. So I'm in a much better place now. Um, That's good yeah, to hear. That Ninja Warrior thing, uh, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, Fun, but also it broke me. Challenging and brought up new challenges yeah. for you by the sounds of it. Yeah. You had to be. It's a weird thing being like going into something knowing you're going to lose. Because realistically, yes, I can get. Oh, up. so few people finish the course. <laughs> well, I mean, they? I can the history up, of this. I can get up the wall. Game all over the world. I can do each individual obstacle. Yeah. But back to back, it's pretty taxing, and yeah. you know you're never going to beat someone yeah. that has two legs. Mm. It's just you're setting yourself up to fail. Yeah. And it's being okay with that. And, and you took your prosthetic leg off. Yeah. Um. Why was that? Obviously, it, you've 
figured you'd do better. Yeah. So my prosthetic leg. So imagine you've got a leg. You you can't move your knee. You can't move your ankle. Yeah. Because they're moved like through motion. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can only move it in a certain way. So you can't push off things. You can't kick off things. You can't swing it. Uh, so you've got a 10 kilo weight on your leg, which is really expensive. Uh, I've also got four fractures, uh, through my leg, uh, through what's so, so the injured leg is, yeah, the is still, leg is still held together with very metal. badly. I've got a rod from my knee to yeah. what's, uh, so what's left of my knee to my hip yeah. uh, and then four pins through the side. So if I do land on that wrong, my fractures can refracture. Uh, and then that's definitely going to affect my walking and yeah. being able to use a prosthetic. Uh, so for me, it's not worth it. You're yeah. using, you're adding weight to yourself. You can't use it. And it's a huge injury risk. So, yeah, yeah just take it off. <laughs> mm. Just before we go to a break, tell me about your prosthetic legs because we hear amazing things about how good the technology is and how far advanced they're becoming. Yes. Uh, and we've seen people do incredible things with prosthetic legs. Uh, what? I mean, how good are they? Um, I know they're expensive. Tell us how expensive they so, are. So, um, okay. So prosthetics are great. We have some amazing technology, but they're still not good enough. Yeah. And we're not going to get better technology because the best that we have at the moment is what I use, which is an Otterbock X3. Mm-hmm. It comes with a price tag of $160,000. Uh, and used, how, how do you afford that? Uh, so I took a $100,000 loan out from the insurance company. Um, and then when I went back to being redeployable in the military, I had to get a second one for when I was deployed. Because yep. if anything went wrong while I was on deployment, you can't just pull into your local leg shop. <laughs> uh, so I had to have a backup version. Fair point. <laughs> um, so I've actually got two of them. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's still, you can't do the things you can do with a normal leg. Mm. Um, and then each leg has a pro and a con. So you need a different leg to make up for that. So for running, yes, it has a running function, but it's heavy. Mm. So then you need a carbon like blade. So you have like the J blade, which everyone calls like an Oscar, the story is leg. Right. Um, just without the side effects. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, you then have a running leg. So the running leg's 20,000. You have a cycling leg, that's 30,000. I then have a gym leg that lets me snowboard and wakeboard as well. And that's got all Fox shocks through it, through a mountain bike, which was actually designed by an amputee. And that's another 20,000. So you add them all up and you're nearly close to $500,000. But then there's the maintenance. So every three to six years, the legs have to be replaced because uh, parts the whole leg, The whole thing. Yeah, the whole leg. Yeah. So they get serviced every year. Um, so my X3 will get sent to Austria where it's like stripped down, rebuilt, and sent back. And they send me a loaner leg to wear while that's happening. Um, so I have them on cycle. So I'll get a call from my prosthesis and say, yep, send the leg back. Um, so you've got this great set of legs like I do now, which I've taken out over $200,000 of loans to be able to have my legs because insurance companies don't pay for running. Mm. They don't pay for sport because that's a want, not a need in their terms. But for me as a young 22 year old, I wanted to do everything. I yeah. wanted to live life. I wanted to like, yes, I've lost a leg, but look, I can get all these cool legs. So I got in as much debt as possible, mm. uh, to be able to, and you have to raise all. your own funds to pay yeah, for those. So right? I raise your own funds. I still haven't got my insurance claim because my medical history hasn't been stable. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm still fighting, um, to be able to get some of these legs covered under that. Yeah. But we did fundraising. My mum gave me a $20,000 loan out of her life savings. Um, so her retirement's cut short now. <laughs> um, and then other parts, the Navy helped me out with some funding for two of my legs. Mm. Um, so we managed to get what we needed. But for now, because it's going to be just, an ongoing cost for you though. Yeah, it? as I've just had surgery, it's 35000 now to be able to use all the legs because I can only use one of my legs at the moment because the other four don't fit because I, I had surgery last year. Uh, until I can raise that money, I'm not able to use four of them. Wow. I don't think people realize this, do they? No, they it's see not, you with these amazing you know, technologically advanced legs and go, oh. Yeah, and the problem cool is is that most people don't get them. 
Mm. Most amputees you see will get a basic mechanical leg that you flick and catch and slam your heel down. Mm. It's not safe. It doesn't have a microprocessor that can support and give you the quality of life you need yeah. because you're not entitled to it because of insurance companies. I know you've been a motivational speaker as well uh, in yes. recent times too, Mark. So we'll talk about that right after we take another break. This is Inspiring Stories. Mark Daniels is our special guest. We'll be back with more in a minute. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Uh, Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest is Mark Daniels. Uh, Mark, one of the things that you've been doing in recent times as well is uh, motivating people through yeah. your story. I mean, it's hard not to be moved. <laughs> it's it's harrowing at times, your, your story. Um, when you go and, and speak to people, I mean, firstly, who do you speak to and what's the what's the response apart from, you know, jaws on the floor for much of it? Um, so the first time I did a speech was actually for Good Life, uh, like the gym. Yep. And I read off an A4 bit of paper, like shaking. I mean, I was a sailor. I hit things with spanners. I had no idea about public speaking. Mm. And then to become a keynote speaker, I was very raw, very untarnished, swore a lot, um, <laughs> much to the dismay of some of the older staff members. Um, but I mean, that was me. It was my raw story. Yeah. But I saw the effect of everyone. Is that You looked around and there wasn't a dry eye in the room. Everyone mm. was the bull in their eyes out. Because I think it's so easy to sit there and go, oh, that's never going to happen to me. I don't drive like an idiot. But with my story, like this can happen to anyone, whether you're in a car, a motorbike, or uh, you're walking down the like the road. Someone can just like lose mm. control and hit you. Um, so then I started realizing the power of words is that even though I didn't think my story was anything special, everyone else found such power in it. So then I started reaching out to like schools. I became an ambassador for ICWA. Um, and road trauma safety WA mm-hmm. and doing some work with them and going out to schools and actually speaking to school kids about the effects and what you can do in that ripple effect of road trauma. Um, and then I then went into businesses and speaking to corporate about goal setting mindset, overcoming those hurdles that I've had to overcome. Mm. And I guess for a lot of people, they can't then go, oh, well, I'm not going to lose the leg. But everyone has those goals, those hard roadblocks in their lives, and they can kind of use my story and what I've done to overcome those as a good motivation. So I've no idea how I do it, but mm. hey, I, I do keynote speaking. It, I think it, it, from people I've met who have done this as a result yeah. of, you know, having a, an intensely traumatic episode in their life, uh, often it is a little bit therapeutic for them yeah. to go out and, and talk about it. But I get the feeling that it's also very challenging as well. It, it, does the story get a little bit easier for you to tell each time you tell it? I guess, yeah, the more you say it, like the kind of, you, you are almost like, discern yourself from it it doesn't become part of your journey you're, just, mm. you're reading a script um but you're saying it about someone else's life you're like oh wait hang on that was my mm. life yeah um there's some parts of it where you're like do you know what if i have to sit there and talk about how crap my life was to make other people feel better about their own lives what am i doing yeah but then you see the effects and you see how much powerful like how much power words can have and that everyone somehow relates to it in a completely different way and i guess it gives you a sense of purpose that if i can use all the pain and hardship i've gone through to help other people get through their own journeys, then hey, mm. it's not such a bad thing. Yeah. And are you busy with your motivational speaking? Um, it's been a bit quiet during yeah. uh, COVID. COVID uh, obviously curtailed <laughs> many most, things. Yeah. Most of my time is spent training. Yeah. Uh, but when I can fit um, them in and I get clients that want me to come speak for them, I always yeah. do. And so. I'm sure they can contact you then through your website. Um, I know Paralympics is a big thing on your yep. horizon once you've uh, you know fulfilled your destiny at the Invictus Games <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> next year. But Paral- Paralympics as well, uh, particularly uh, the canoeing. 
Uh, how did you get into that particular sport? Uh, so I was so I did the Invictus Games in 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, Curtis McGrath, who is an ex Invictus Games athlete himself, ex Army, uh, he actually scouted me um, when he was commentating and said, "Look, come try kayaking." And I'm like, oh, "Yeah, I'm good at every sport. This will be easy." <laughs> I'll take and my pick, it was <laughs> jumped in a boat, um, and it was the first sport I couldn't do. Yeah. And I hated it. I hate not being good at things. <laughs> I'm always such a natural sportsman that I finally found a sport that I couldn't do and it made me want to do it more. So I kept coming back, kept training and getting up at 4am every morning just to be able to paddle this stupid boat that I fell in like <laughs> seven times a session. Uh, and then became addicted to it. I've always loved the water, the Navy, everything about the water. So being able to paddle on the water every morning as the sun's coming up, it's a beautiful mm. thing. Uh, and then you get that sense of teamwork again, the mateship. And it's been really therapeutic for me is that I've been able to, I'm such a competitive person that I've been able to compete. I've, I've sensed that, yeah. <laughs> I'm also able to train and I get that sense of purpose. Um, but now, as well as the Paralympics, I've also set up a program um, for Paracanoe WA, which we've established, which yep. is getting people in a grassroots level to come and train at an Ascot Kayak Club. So if there is anyone with a disability that wants to come, get on the water, experience yep. that feeling again of freedom, then uh, yeah, come see us at Ascot Kayak Club and we'll get you involved. Sounds like a, a beautiful thing. It is. Well, look, all I can say is uh, all the best for the Invictus Games, the Paralympics, but more importantly, day to day. Yeah, just get through those days and um, and all the best for the future. And I hope you uh, you know don't need any further surgeries on that. Uh, thank you very much. Lake. It's been a hell of a journey, but it's taught yeah, me so much. Incredible. Um, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your amazing story. Uh, you've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another inspiring story. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.